if, if, you, uh, if you have a Bible with you, please open it to Acts chapter 8. We're continuing our series in Acts. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the text will be on the screen. Um, although phone Bibles are allowable, it's okay. We're, we're so 21st century. Um, but we're going to be in verses 1, 1 through 25. A couple of disclaimers here. Is one, um, our four-year-old woke us up so many times last night, so if this doesn't make any sense, it's her fault. Um, second, uh, this is not like a devotional sermon. Like, you may say, hey, this is really feels like informational. Yeah, there's no other way to preach this text, but it is the message of the text. Um, and, and lastly, we're going to be uh, treading somewhat close to some pretty sensitive topics um, I want to acknowledge that. I can be and often am wrong. If I say something that is uh, boneheaded, emotionally unintelligent, fill in the blank, uh, please feel free to, to talk to me about it. I, I want to grow in these things always. Uh, those of you who have emailed me in the past about such things, no, I'm not brittle. I'm not going to push back. I, I, I'm happy to, to listen and grow and get better at it. Um, okay, well, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that your word would speak to us this morning, that you would, you would give us eyes to see more like you do, that we would look at other people and other peoples with, with the eyes of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So what happens when a message that comes from God is carried by one people to another people. Like people from one culture to another culture. And think of it like this. If, if the gospel is like water, then a culture is like a container, right? And someone coming from one culture has a certain container. Maybe they got like a bottle. And they go and, and someone else from another culture has like a bowl. And we can make a big mistake to confuse the contents with the container. Am I making sense so far? Be like, hey, you don't have a bottle. No, but I have a bowl. It will hold water. Okay? The, the reason I bring this up is because the church has a long history of confusing the contents with the container, of confusing the gospel for culture. For, for example, I, I, when I was in seminary, I was reading this, uh, this letter that a missionary, an English missionary, was writing back to his home country in England um, about, you know, he was in some tropical island and was writing like, things are going really well, people are receiving the gospel. He says, they've even started wearing suits like English gentlemen and playing cricket, right? And so for this guy, you know, hey, they didn't just receive the gospel, they went even further. They were in a tropical climate wearing wool and playing the most boring game known to man. Isn't that great? Like for him, the container became the contents. Making sense? And, and, and there's always, the, the, the reason this is so dangerous is because we always have a tendency to totally commend culture or totally condemn culture. Now, am I saying that it's wrong to like love your own culture or to love another culture. No, it's all good. Love your culture, love another culture. What I'm saying is when we uncritically commend it and say that my culture is right across the board or another culture is right across the board or condemn them totally. For instance, when we totally commend our own, we're going to confuse the gospel with our culture. 
And when we, uh, when we understand ourselves to be sharing the gospel, what we actually end up doing is sharing our culture. This, this is, this is um, there's a long, sad history of this, of people going out across the world to other cultures, sharing the gospel and erasing them because they've got their culture and the gospel confused. It also, if you totally commend your culture, you don't hear the challenge of God to your culture, right? I'm going to go ahead and upset a few of you. It's okay, guys. We'll get through it. But capitalism, even though I like it, is not in the Bible and neither is democracy. Okay? I'm very happy to live in a capitalist democracy. They're not in the scriptures. And for some people, are like, what do you mean? That's part of the gospel. Surely there's a way to Jimmy rig the Bible to say that that's there. It's not. I'm sorry. Okay? We commend our own culture so much that it's like kind of hard for us to accept. Wait, you could be like a monarchist and a Christian? Like, yes, people have been. There's this guy named King Jesus. We'll all be monarchists at some point. <laughs> also, if we commend another culture totally, this is, this is also uh, um, a, a huge problem because to even share the gospel can be viewed as wrong. Because you're saying, well, you're pushing your culture on somebody else and trying to erase their culture, right? And, and it forces us into a moral relativism. I was talking to a friend, and we were discussing kind of how sad it was, what's happening in Afghanistan, um, especially with regards to, you know, rule under the Taliban and how that affects women. And he said, well, you know, that's, that's their culture. Like in, in, in Afghan culture, the Taliban and whatnot, that's just what they do. That's how they treat women. That's what were we to say. And I was like, hmm, something seems really wrong about that. It's commending another culture totally so that it's above criticism, whether it's our own or another. And then sometimes we can condemn our own culture, culture totally. Some of you guys come from uh, backgrounds where you know, being part of the church meant hating your culture, that there was nothing good about your culture, that, that you know, you don't go to the movies because, you know, you know, because it's a movie <laughs> and, and it could corrupt you and make you part of the culture. It, the, the problem with that, of course, is that you miss out on a lot of good stuff. Um, but also, you, you end up condemning things that actually honor God. There's nothing on planet Earth that doesn't belong to God, all right? And also, you end up in the Westboro Baptist space. <laughs> you don't communicate the, cult, the, the gospel to the culture very well if all you have to say is culture bad. Or it's also very dangerous to totally condemn another culture. To say, you know, whether, whether it's um, whatever culture from around the world, to totally condemn it. And say there's nothing good, there's nothing redeemable, there's nothing that honors God in this culture. You ever hear someone say, that sounds like it's from the 1950s, okay? Like, as if say, naming a time and a, a cultural moment in the past is enough to condemn whatever point of view, because there's nothing good about, you know, whatever culture in the 1950s. So how should we approach this? How should we approach our own culture and other cultures? Well, the, the Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 25, is the first time in history that the gospel is carried from one culture to another, from Jews to Samaritans. Look with me at verses 1 through 4. This is coming right after the martyrdom of Stephen. 
says, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, this is exactly what Jesus said. You're going to go be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and, the, and, and, and to the ends of the earth. It says, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So this, this persecution against the church breaks out in Jerusalem, and, and the church starts to scatter out of Jerusalem. And look what happens in verse 4. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So God actually uses this persecution as a way to start spreading the gospel and accomplishing the mission. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now, Philip, we met him in the, in the, the sermon about the first diaconate. He was one of the people appointed. And, um, and he goes cross-cultural to Samaria. Now, that doesn't shock any of us, but to ancient people, that is pretty shocking. Here's why. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. <laughs> there was a lot of bad history. All right, I'm a history nerd, and you have to deal with it right now, but it's going to help you appreciate how big of a deal this was. So Samaria used to be part of the kingdom of Israel. So there was a united kingdom of Israel, all 12 tribes. We have a map. All 12 tribes, this is, there was three kings where, the, where it was united. Saul, David, who you may have heard of, and then Solomon, who you may have heard of. And then after, after this united kingdom period in the year 931 BC, there was a split. The kingdom split in half into Judah in the south. We have another map for that. Into Judah in the south and Israel in the north. Okay? And they fought with each other, and they did not like each other, and they didn't get along. And, um, and then, in the year 722 BC, this kingdom of Israel, that northern kingdom, fell to the Assyrians, who were the, the big bad empire in that part of the world at the time, and they resettled uh, Israel with people from all over their empire, and they, uh, they actually started to combine the, the faith of the Old Testament with Assyrian paganism, okay? So they both considered each other heretics, and then the big bone of contention is that, um, is that uh, uh, when we get, by the time it's to Samaria, which we have a map of that too, you can see where it is, uh, at that Mount Gerizim, they built another temple. The temple at Mount Gerizim was the main, like, like for, for Jews, the temple at Jerusalem was the, where the presence of God was. That's where you're supposed to worship God. And for the Samaritans, they say, no, at Mount Gerizim is where you, is where you worship. At one point, they fought a war with each other. And at another point, the, the Jews of Judea went and burned down the temple at Gerizim. <laughs> okay? You getting the bad blood here? Um, they hated each other so much that there was a lot of Jews up in that area, Galilee, where Jesus is from. When they would go down to Jerusalem, they would walk, across, they would walk around Samaria, adding days to the journey because they did not want to go 
through Samaria. That's the level of animosity, right? You've got to think, you got to think like Northern Ireland, where it's like, you guys look the same to us, Northern Ireland, Republican Ireland, but to them, they're like, oh no. They're, they're, they're very close to each other, and there's a lot of hostility and animosity. Now look what happens when Philip starts proclaiming the gospel. It says in the crowd, in verse 6, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. We're going to come back to him. I'm not skipping him. And they paid attention to him because for, a, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So the Samaritans are receiving the gospel. They're believing in Jesus. For ancient Jews, especially, this would have been like us saying, can a dog become a Christian? Can a dog get baptized? It's that level, you understand? And so what we see next is that God ratifies that they are the real deal. Look at verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. These are two apostles now, official representatives of the church, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people focus on, well, does the Spirit come when you lay hands or at conversion or like, and, and try and build theologies about like a second baptism of the Spirit? That's, the pattern in Acts is very inconsistent for laying on hands, belief in Spirit descending. Don't bury the headline. Don't miss the point. The point is, is yes, Samaritans really are part of God's family. That God's gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ isn't for the Jews only, but that God redeems every culture through the gospel. That God redeems every culture through the gospel. And because God redeems every culture through the gospel, we need to see all cultures redemptively. We need to see all cultures, including our own, redemptively. We're going to see how the apostles deal with the gospel, with the water of the gospel going into a new and differently shaped container, okay? So I want to first say, for some of us, you're like, I don't have a culture. I'm just like normal, right? Like, like it's news to some of us that we have a culture, but we all do have a culture. I know what people mean when they say ethnic food. All food is ethnic, including hot dogs, 
Right? We are all from a culture. And we see in the book of Revelation and throughout the scriptures, but the very last thing we see when the city of God comes, we're told that every culture brings their treasure into God's city. That God redeems every culture through the gospel. There is no such thing as like a Christian culture or a non-Christian culture. We need to view every culture redemptively. How do we do that? Three things. We need to see where there's a longing for redemption. We need to see what should be left alone, and we need to see what needs to be challenged. So how do we see cultures redemptively? See where there's longing for redemption in a culture, see what should be left alone, and see what needs to be challenged. Okay, so first of all, we need to see where there is a longing for redemption. Now, this isn't mentioned in the text, but every scholar I read on this mentioned this. The Samaritans were expecting a redeemer, a prophet named the Taheb, prophesied in Deuteronomy chapter 13. He was a prophet who would redeem them. And they believed that this prophet, the Taheb, was going to come to Mount Gerizim. Well, guess what? In John chapter 4, Jesus went through Samaria and stopped at Mount Gerizim. It seems incredibly like a no-brainer that Philip would say, hey, this Taheb you're longing for, this prophet redeemer who's going to come to Mount Gerizim, what if I told you? Because we see again and again, he's proclaiming to them the name of Jesus Christ. They're already longing for redemption. Philip doesn't just say, hey, your Samaritan culture sucks in every way, and you need to adopt Jewish culture because we're more on the ball with this stuff, right? It's saying you already long for redemption here, and Jesus fulfills that longing for redemption. Every culture longs for redemption. There's a few basic facts We are all created by God. We are all made in God's image and live in God's world. And we are every person in every culture is called by the Holy Spirit before anybody shows up to preach the gospel, right? The Holy Spirit prepares people and peoples to hear the gospel. And there's parts in every culture where the Holy Spirit has gotten through. There are a ton of examples of this. There are several cultures around the world, including indigenous culture here, that believe there was one God who made everything. That's pretty good, you know? You don't need to come in and say, you've got it all wrong. You say, no, you're already longing to know this creator God. Let me tell you more. Let me me show you how Jesus fulfills this longing for redemption. In in our own culture in the U.S. here, uh, like there is a great commitment to human rights. That's something that whether you're, wherever you are on, on the political spectrum, everybody is going to say, yes, I believe in human rights. We fail at human rights, don't always honor human rights, but we at least highly value them. Do you realize that on a secular worldview, if we believe that we are a cosmic accident, that we came from nowhere, Human rights don't make any sense. In in fact, um, one of the most influential ethicists in the world, a guy named Peter Singer at at, uh, at Princeton, says, yeah, human rights are nonsense. They don't make any sense 
at all why we would prefer the rights of a human above a cow or a dog or whatever. We're all just biological organisms able to suffer. And so the idea that a human being is somehow special, has inherent dignity, just isn't logical. But you're not going to persuade the vast swath of, of, of the American and the West uh, populace that human rights aren't something that we need to care deeply about. That's a place where our culture longs for redemption. Human rights only make sense if human beings have inherent dignity, if we're made in the image of God. This is a place where we long for, for what, what the gospel gives us. So it's not that we need to come in and say, American culture, Western culture, all bad. But look for where, where a culture longs for redemption. And also, and this is a more minor point, but it's worth mentioning, is to see what should be left alone. What I'm about to do is not something that you should try at home when reading the Bible. I'm about to make an argument from silence. Never do that. But I'm going to do it because it's okay because I went to seminary. <laughs> it's okay when I do it. It's bad when you do it. Um, no, seriously. Any, anybody who was familiar with the dynamics between Jews and Samaritans in the ancient world would be screaming right now, what about the temple? The main bone of contention between these two cultures was this temple at Gerizim. Do you see it mentioned? It's not even worth mentioning. It's not an issue to be sorted out. Not only that, I can strengthen my argument from silence that when Jesus, he was going through Samaria, he encountered this woman at a well, she brought up this issue to him and said, hey, you guys say only the temple in Jerusalem, we say the temple at Mount Gerizim, what do you say? You're a prophet. And Jesus says, meh, doesn't matter, worship there, worship Jerusalem, doesn't really matter. It's not, it's not a thing. Worship God from wherever, okay? Like, a lot, of the, a lot of the worst abuses of erasing cultures by foreign missionaries or by, by uh, you know, churches in the U.S. or what have you are over things that just don't matter, you know? Well, they're not wearing pants. Who cares? It's hot. Don't make them wear pants. They don't speak French or whatever. It's like, so what? They have a tribal government. Who can live with such a thing? Who cares? Israel had a tribal government for a long time. Some of you guys came from churches where you're like, yeah, dancing bad and, and most music bad. And, and in the ancient world, they thought going to the theater was bad. Now, technically, anytime you were going to the theater in the ancient world, you were worshiping Dionysius. So I see their point. It's a, for another time, guys. But, but so much energy is spent straining at gnats and worrying about things that should be left alone. The, the kind of like, like, because I want you guys in community groups to kind of start thinking through this. Like, how do we differentiate something that's, that shows a longing for redemption between something that's just like, yeah, don't worry about it, is can the same thing be used to honor God that can also dishonor God? That means it's just a container right? We're worried about the contents, not the container. But, you know, there are certain things that need to be challenged. Part of redemption, part of viewing a culture redemptively, including our own, especially our own, and I want to I wanna acknowledge 
that, uh, you know, some of us come from majority culture, and you've never had to think too much about other cultures, and some of you guys move between cultures, right? Um, and so, so whatever, whatever that applies, when I say your culture, whatever, whatever, however that applies to you, is we need to see what needs to be challenged. Because a container can contain cholera. And you can put good contents into a container that has cholera in it, and it's going to become bad, right? Let's get back to Simon here. Now, we are told uh, that Simon, in verse 9, that Simon was a magician. And some of us are like, well... <laughs> But for the ancient world, magicians and magic were a standard part. Like, you have hard-headed historians like Tacitus. You're like, yeah, there was a magician. He was really good at magic, right? This is something they accepted. This was like saying, I'm a civil engineer. It's like magic to me. Those of you who do such things. Doctors, too. And, and by the way, financial analysts, that might as well be voodoo in my book. That's amazing. But this was a very normal part of the ancient world. And, and when you hear a uh, magician, don't think Dumbledore, right? It wasn't that. It wasn't like good wand work or whatever. A magician in the ancient world was someone who, through secret knowledge, was able to command spirits to do their bidding. That was the idea, okay? And, um, and, um, this guy in particular, we see in verse 10, that, uh, that he, well, in verse 9, he says that he was somebody great. So he was using his magical ability to, to pump up his reputation. He was an influencer. And in, uh, in verse 10, we see that they said, this man is the power of God that is called great. So the power of God called great, that was like a divine title for Samaritans. So this guy is claiming some sort of divinity, that he is a deity or that he is a representation or a manifestation of a deity. So this isn't just like Wingardium Leviosa. This is, this is commanding spirits, and it's taking, it's taking the, the pagan practice of magic and mushing it up with the Bible. Okay. Now we're going to see in verse 18, he wants to take... He wants to put together his magic practice and just put it together with the gospel. Look at verse 18. It says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. That's what you would do. One magician to another. Teach me how to do this. I'll pay you. Saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So, remember what a magician does. They command spirits through secret knowledge. He's saying, I'll pay you for your secret knowledge so that I can command the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, well, that's what your culture does. So yeah, no, let's look at what Peter says. Never one to mince words. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You could literally translate that. May you and your money go to hell. <laughs> Peter, always so tactful. You have neither part nor lot in this manner, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, that, 
that gall of bitterness, it doesn't just mean that you are like having a rough go of it. It means you're poison. You're poisonous and you're going to poison others. And in fact, we actually have writings about Simon the Magician outside of the Bible. There was a, a writer named Justin Martyr who was from Samaria, who was born in 100 AD, who wrote about the, the later career of Simon the Magician. He, be, he went on to become an opponent of the church. He was preaching an alternative gospel, right, making himself a big deal. Um, and so, so we see that, that this, this turns out to be accurate. He is in the gall of bitterness. He is poisonous. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. But when it comes down to it, it they don't go in and race Samaritan culture, but there is something to be challenged, right? This is something that strikes at the heart of the gospel, to command the Holy Spirit through magic means. Or, or to, to think that, you know, sort of uh, being someone who commands spirits is, is, is a, a path to walk. There's always something in every culture that needs to be challenged. Uh, many years ago, when um, missionaries were in India, there was a practice called sati. Anyone ever heard of this? Sati was a burial rite. When a man would die, you would make a pyre, and uh, you would lay his body on top of a, of a wooden board and burn the pyre along with his body. Now, the, the part that missionaries were like, what do we do, <laughs> is that they would also take his wife, who was still alive, and make her lay there and burn her along with him. Okay? Now, when there's something like that, you say, well, that's just their culture. That's just what they do. That's just their practice. Or does that need to be challenged? Now, in... In American majority culture, there's, there's, there are things that need, need to be challenged. We have a culture of individualism, where we say, I, I get my own back, you take care of you. Yeah, there's poor in America, I don't care, I'm worried about me. It's all about the individual. Our state is built of individuals, don't tread on me, the rest of it. And we've taken that and enshrined it in religion. You ever heard this phrase? Christianity is a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. Now, I understand what people are saying, that you need to spend time alone with God. That's all good. But we know from the Bible, and we've, we've talked about this before, it's a family relationship with God. It's a communal relationship with God. The one-on-one -on -one thing isn't in the scriptures anywhere. We're simply taking our culture and baptizing it, that, that American individualism. Also, we're a very consumeristic culture. Now, I'm not against people having nice things, but understand, our understanding of a life of blessing looks eerily similar to a Puff Daddy video, like from the 90s, you know? It's like, life of blessing, when God loves me, yeah, I'm going to live like that. That's, that's, that's not it, is it? It's not what we see in the scriptures. Like, literally, there are people who say, when God blesses your life, you're going to have more buying power as if that's part of the gospel. These are not things that are indifferent, and the, these are things that actually need to be challenged. Now, I'm not going to go too far, like we could, we could go on and on with this, but we need to view every culture redemptively, because God redeems every culture through the gospel. 
if we want to cooperate with what God's doing, we can't look at our culture or another culture as all good or all bad, but instead see where does this culture show a longing for redemption? Where is it already saying, I need Jesus? What are things that are just whatever? These are, these are cultural artifacts that can be used to glorify God or can be used for destructive purposes. And what needs to be challenged? We need to understand the difference between the contents and the container. Making sense? This is really key. Um, because if, if we aren't aware of this as a church community, we're going to make the mistake of collapsing the gospel into a cultural expression and require everybody to abide by it. For, for some folks, right? Like, your understanding is that there is like a, like the majority culture so informs how the church runs in the U.S. that you kind of have to join the majority culture. Like, you have to give up your own culture in order to be a Christian. And that is so contrary to what we see God doing in the scriptures. That is not God's heart. God wants to be glorified. He wants the treasures of every culture. He wants to redeem every culture through the gospel. We need to see every culture redemptively. You get to see this, you know, when you encounter another culture, you really get your eyes opened to how this works. I, a few years ago here in Denver, I got invited to a Nepalese church. I didn't know there were any, but I got invited to one. And so I show up at the address, which turned out to be the third floor of an apartment of this elderly Nepalese lady. I'm like, okay. And I was on time for the service, which meant I was an hour early. And, and so I'm just sitting in her living room, and, and she comes out, and we don't understand each other at all. And she, she hands me a, a cup of hot tea and an orange soda. And I'm like, do I pour one in the other? I didn't know what to do. And then like some biscuits. I was like, okay, I'm just going to do my best here. And, and people start filing in, and, and um, you know, like people are going and hanging out in other rooms. I'm like, has this church service started yet? <laughs> you know? And then they do start, and all the songs are in Nepalese, and, and it's beautiful, but I don't know what they're saying. And then the pastor, who was actually from India, so he's, he preached in English, I was like, okay, I'll be able to follow it. But I didn't follow it. I didn't understand what he was talking about. I'm, <laughs> pridefully, I'm like, this isn't very good preaching. <laughs> and, and, but I look around at the faces of the people, and they're, you know, engaged, yeah, nodding their heads. Some of them are in tears, and I'm like, okay. All right, I get it. I get it. The reason... The reason that, this, that, that I'm so confused and lost is because this is what it looks like when the gospel is poured into their culture, right? And this is just as beautiful as when it's poured into my own culture. Same water, different container. We need to see every culture redemptively because God redeems every culture through the gospel. Please pray with me.